Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast, the original Alien and Predator podcast. This is Aaron Percival aka Corporal Hicks and joining me on this episode is regular hunting partner Adam, Adam Zeller aka Rich Top. I got his name there. He's fucked up my intro so many times today that I was just going to cut him over. <laughs> and also joining us for the first time in a while. A yeah, while, a while. yeah. The last one I remember was Phalanx Review, is that right? Yeah, I think so. Is uh, Mr. Lee Byrne, everybody. Hello, Lee. Hello, good to be back. Thanks for having me. And uh, you may also know him as Who the Fuck from our message boards and one of the editors, co-ed-in-chief. What's the title? Co-administrator, I think, is the technical term. Of uh, Xenopedia. For this episode, we are... Well, Lee's here, so naturally we're talking a book for a start (laughs) because Lee always used to be my go-to for the books. Actually, go on then, before we get into it, since it's been a while since we've had you on the show and Phalanx was was the last episode we did, any favourites from the book since Phalanx? What have we had since Phalanx? Intercaribdis is since yeah. Phalanx, isn't it? That mm-hmm. is the easy answer. I, I'll be honest, I was I was a bit worried because I like Cold Forge so much. I was a bit worried that Charybdis wouldn't live up to it, and it did. I've absolutely loved it. It was fantastic. So, yeah, another excellent read from Alex White. Yep. And we also had Infiltrator. Infiltrator was okay. It was. It reminded me of the old Bantam books in sort of tone. It was sort of a middle-of-the-road kind of read. You know, it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't didn't blow me away. That's kind of what I thought too, yeah. I think yeah. Aaron, you and, and AJ... I got very frustrated by that book. Very frustrated by that book. And what else did we have? Stalking Shadows... Predator, yep. tie-in. Uh, William Gibson's Alien 3 by Pat Cadigan. Uh, oh, yeah, I've not read that yet. I'm waiting on the paperback of that. Interesting they did the first draft with that, actually. Yeah, well, I think it's because they did the second for the audio drama and the comic as well. So probably just one of those, it's a little bit more different. People might yeah. still buy it. I'm surprised Pat Cadigan actually made me enjoy Gibson's first draft. So props to that, because I fucking hate that draft so much. <laughs> I love his second draft, and I always have, but the the first one, no. It is a bit batshit. It is a bit batshit. Not quite Eric Red level, but yeah. <laughs> no. it's, it's up there. But yes, yeah, so we are talking for this episode, the brand new anthology, Ultimate Prey. The first AVP anthology ever, and the first AVP book we've had since the Rage War trilogy. So that was, what, 2017? The branding was all over the place on that one, so I think the trilogy itself could be classed as as Alien versus Predator quite clearly, but the only one of the novels in that was called AVP. I was like, yeah, okay, I don't understand this, but sure, we'll roll with it. But yeah, Titan really hasn't made a great a lot of use out of AVP and Predator, but to see this one actually come out, I think was was fantastic because this is the third anthology that Titan's done. The first was Bug Hunt, which was something of a disaster. Disaster? Is it that bad? Look, there was, what was it, like 15, 16? There, there was a good chunk of shorts in it, like six of them I enjoyed. One I absolutely hated which was quite surprising to me because it was Yvonne Navarro who wrote it and everything else was okay to Paul. 
it is not a book I would recommend to people. So a few few decent ones, but more bad than good in that one. Yeah, majority is bad, which was quite disappointing. But there are some fantastic ones in there. You know, the the ones that I like, I love. You know, they're, they're brilliant. Scott Siegler's debut was in there, which was a fantastic one. There's a really nice like documentary-style one on the Pulse Rifle, which if, if you like your Colonial Marines and you like your gun porn kind of thing, is really interesting, and I really love that one. I think James Moore was the only one who actually made good use of the concept of other aliens without a capital A in there. Absolutely love Jim's short in that one. Who else was in there? Tim, Tim Levin did a, a cool Rage War tie-in. So, yeah, there was, there was like six good ones. And then we flip over to If It Bleeds, the Predator one. Fantastic. I think, I think Lee agrees with me there. There wasn't nothing in there to dislike, really. No, that was uh, every story in that I loved pretty much. It was solid the whole way through, which was impressive given, you know, so many different people taking part. I thought it was quite impressive that the quality was so consistent. Yeah, Aaron, you gave that one a 10 out of 10 in your written review uh, on the site for that one. Yep. I don't think you've read either of them, though, have you? I've read stories in both of them. I've finished both of them. So this is the first anthology that you've read completely. Uh-huh. <laughs> don't tell Brian that, though. I'm sure. Well, he'll be listening. He'll know. (laughs) So before we get any further disclaimer from Adam and I, if you've read this book, which I would encourage you to do prior to listening to this podcast, because spoilers, if you've read this book, you may notice in both the dedication and the acknowledgements, Adam and I's name. And that is because we were asked things to do with world building and continuity with this book. We can't really talk about what we what we did, but it essentially boils down to we were asked, does this work or how do we make this work? And uh, yeah, that, that is what our involvement boils down to. So yes, disclaimer, we did have some involvement with this and we were thanked for it in here. That isn't going to stop us savaging two particular shorts <laughs> in this story, in this book. But disclaimer anyway, if you feel like you can't trust our review. But it was cool to be a part of the process. And we thank Brian for, for the dedication. Like, that's really awesome to see, honestly, for me. I know you've been in a ton of books before, Aaron, but this is my first time. So, so I'm kind of happy about that. But yeah, there, there's the disclaimer. So this, this is our first attempt at reviewing an anthology on here. I'm always kind of unsure of how to do it because it seems like it'd take far too long to sit down and go through every single bloody show in the book. So after some discussion, we basically boiled down to we are going to pick and discuss three shorts that were our favorites within within the book. We've essentially all picked one each. The intent was also to pick one that we didn't like, but there's only really two shorts within the book that I think all of us were like... Nope, didn't like that. Yeah. Everything else was... Decent or really good. Varying degrees of good to solid. So we we are only going to be talking about five shorts in here. I'm actually going to let Lee start as our guest since uh, me and Adam have been taking up most of the airway so far. So Lee, what was your pick? My pick for favourite... And I apologise in advance to whoever it may concern if I'm butchering the pronunciation of this, but it was Kyodai, the uh, Predator's pseudo-sequel at the end of the book. 
yeah, I love this. I think if I had a general complaint about the anthology, it's that a lot of these shorts, good and bad, were very similar in structure. Like you had people somewhere, some some aliens and predators would show up, they'd fight each other, the predators would win, and then the people would move on with their lives if they were still alive. You know, the background and specifics changed, but pretty much every story followed that template, except for this one. This seemed like the only one that really mixed up the uh, scenario. And uh, yeah, I, th- I thoroughly enjoyed it. I also went into it, generally speaking, all of the stories in all three of these anthologies that have been prequels or sequels to other stories have slightly disappointed me. This was the first sort of tie-in story that I thought really did justice. I loved it. I loved the way it was written. I liked the characters in it. It had some really fun nods to the film. I thought it, it did justice to the Hanzo character from the film. Yeah, just really, really liked this this read. It was comfortably my favourite in the book. And so this one was written by Jonathan Mayberry, who was the editor of uh, Bug Hunt. So uh, uh, apologies. <laughs> apologies for disliking Bug Hunt. But I do actually like all of Jonathan's Jonathan shorts because he's done a, a short in all of these anthologies so far. All of them I've enjoyed. His Bug Hunt short was one of my favourites in that book, actually. I really enjoyed it. It was the one set on Fury. Yeah, I love that story. I love the way that was written as well. So I think it must just be his his style of writing that appeals to me. And it was also co-written by, you can preempt me, Lee? Louis Azawa. Who? Played Hanzo in Predators. Adam, do you want to give us a rundown of the actual short? Because I know you tend to be really good at doing these bits. All right. So this is kind of a sequel to Predators, the 2010 film. So if you haven't seen that, what's wrong with you? I would definitely recommend watching that before reading the short. But this focuses on the character Hanzo's brother, who, just like Hanzo, is abducted by these predators and dropped onto the game preserve planet. Unlike the Predators movie, he's pretty much alone for the majority of this story. He doesn't meet up. I mean, he does see some other survivors there. And it's interesting seeing them them described and their backgrounds, like really interesting, unique, like warrior backgrounds, just like we get with the Predators film. But he's essentially watching them from a distance when he encounters them. So he drops into this river, gets his bearings after he's parachuted in. He finds this cage and he finds acid burns on this cage. And eventually he sees this other group of humans. He hears a scream and he, he sees them being chased by an alien. And the alien is essentially, it's made clear that the alien is being used as a hunting dog pretty much by the predator. So that brings this concept that's appeared in some other media into this story. So he watches for a while and after two predators leave their camp, well, he first finds a monument to his brother Hanzo, which I guess is like his tattoo skin displayed under a yeah. piece of glass or something like that they, they skinned him and stuck his tattoo on on show but it, it was kind of cool saying how and he describes it a bit like oh the hunters to kind of make the the hunt feel dangerous they'll they'll build a little monument when one of their own gets defeated as kind of like a story and also we've seen that kind of before in, in the recent one we did aaron with the turnabout sequel they talk about the stories of the snipers that took out all these predators so that is kind of an interesting concept that's on display here for for a bit with the monument to hanzo but um hanzo's brother takes the uh i'm blanking on his name what was his name in the story eg eg that's right takes the samurai sword there speculates about the history of the sword a bit which is also kind of interesting and after two predators leave this camp there's a third one there he uh approaches the predator and challenges him 
this is after the predator had been like using the the alien to track down and kill these other humans. And the predator was was using it's like a pain device for the alien to have it hunting the other humans. And he makes note of that the alien is hates this predator that's doing this. And there's a moment where the predator like puts his hand over the control device but doesn't press it. And the alien it's like that moment in Alien Resurrection, right? Where he puts his hand over the the freeze button. And the alien sees the warning and reacts to it. And this story had a lot of that, honestly. It had like the whole, these aliens are smarter than we give them credit for kind of vibe. And I really dig that, honestly, with the alien. So he has this one-on-one showdown with the Predator, just like his brother did with the sword. Because the Predator is about to blow him away with, with the plasma caster, but he points to his sword like, no, I want to I go with the sword. And so the Predator disarms himself with his plasma weapon. They fight it out. And after he defeats the Predator, slices his head off as is common in the Game Preserve planet, it seems. He um, releases the alien and pretty much tells it where the other Predators have gone. And the alien goes off to find those other predators. And the story kind of ends there. And the alien doesn't just immediately kill him and attack him. Again, this goes to like, whoa, like the alien sees, this is the enemy of my enemy situation, but reversed with the alien. I kind of dug that. I know fans might take issue with the alien, just not ripping him to shreds right there. I thought it was a good story. It has a problem that I've noticed in a number of anthology stories that I really like. And that is you want to see more. There's a lot of buildup in this. And it's handled really well. It's written really well. And then it just ends. And I'm like, this should have been the start of a novel. (laughs) I just really wanted this to be its own book because it had such an interesting setup. And it's unfortunate that it's not, but I'm glad we got it in this anthology because it is one of my favorite stories as well. It's the one I was thinking about picking before you picked it, Lee, honestly, because I liked (laughs) it so much. Yeah, I, I get the complaint, but I would say, if anything, that's a compliment to the story. You know, it left you wanting more which, you know, you're obviously invested in it if you want more of it. And the alien thing at the end, I can see it being a thing that people hate, but I think the way it was written, it worked for me. And as you said, it it showed the aliens in a more intelligent light, which was something that was quite often lacking, I think, in some of these stories. You know, they were often just cannon fodder, whereas this one showed it to be a little bit smarter than that. You know, it had a brain. It, it could work these things out. And I'm glad you brought up Resurrection because I did notice the sort of intentional or not nod to the scene with Gediman threatening to... He doesn't even have to do it. The aliens already learn what will happen. And it was, yeah, and it was it was the same situation playing out here, which was a nice little nod. So, yeah, I, uh, I was fine with the end and it, it worked for me, but I can see it being a thing that people might take issue with. So just to touch on that particular point there from Lee. So as much as I really enjoy the majority of the shorts within this book, my big complaint is that, yes, throughout the majority of the shorts, the alien is not favoured very well. And I understand that it's easier for writers to to favor the predators because they're a bit more humanized than us. But looking at it from a variety editorial kind of point of view, it's again, like you, you mentioned as well, Lee, a lot of these are structurally very similar, which is a reason I didn't pick Adam's favorite, which he's, he's going to talk about in a bit, because that didn't stand out enough to me compared to what I've picked and what you've picked here. The reason Kodai stands out so well for me is, again, because those reasons you highlighted, it is so structurally different from the other shorts within the book, but also its treatment of the alien. Now, I do kind of mm, and are it a little bit because of 
how intelligent it did portray the alien there because I don't... Yes, we've seen it respond to simuli like that before, but I don't think we've ever seen it really have the choice of kill me, kill those guys. So I think that's just because it's different. I completely understand it and I think it works. The aliens are sometimes portrayed as intelligent and I much prefer it when they are, but I can completely understand people who might turn their noses up at that bit. But it's one of those ones where I'm not quite sure what I feel about the end of it other than that, yes, I respect that the aliens are actually given some intelligence in here. Structurally speaking, though, it's a lot like Predators, which I like. And I know that film tends to get a lot of stick for unfounded accusations of being a remake. I will die on that fucking hill. So to then praise the short as being quite structurally similar to, to Predators anyway in terms of the setup, it might be a little bit hypocritical of me, but I like that. And to be honest, I, I feel a lot of love from uh, Louis in this. You know, there, yeah. there is a lot of callbacks to his character in the film and this new character in here. A lot of emphasis is put on how Hanzo was awesome, but how E.G. wasn't quite on the same level as him, but different in a good way. You know, there, there is a lot of... You, you can feel Louis's attention to that film in, in this short. Lee, you mentioned uh, on the forums one particular thing you liked about that. Yeah, it was E.G. referring to Hanzo as the uh, more emotional, more expressive brother. And of course, the joke in Predators yeah, is that Hanzo like that. never speaks and never shows any emotion. So that, that got a good giggle out of me. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I really like that too. It's like you said, it was it was you could see Luis's influence in it because it was very respectful of the character he played and actually i thought improved the character that he played in the film because he's so silent in the movie you never really get to know much about him but this i thought like it, it humanized him made me uh, more of a fan of his character in the movie retroactively yeah because it also expands on like some of uh, hanzo's knowledge you know it expands on hanzo's style in combat you know you, you wouldn't know it from the film but the fighting style that he uses is an actual Japanese style of sword fighting that you don't know about. But then, you know, this book sort of details that and it details Hanzo's preferred moves and stuff like that with, with EG actually accurately predicting the outcome of that battle because of what he knows of Hanzo's style, which I really like. But then, you know, they also talk about EG's difference and how that then helps him defeat the Predator at the end without meeting the same fate that Hanzo did. So I really loved the backstory in this. I really loved how it enhanced Predators. It enhanced Hanzo. It stood apart as its own thing. Like Adam says, you know, it does feel like the start of something. And there's a lot of shorts in here that feel like they could be launching pads for full-length full length novels, which is mildly frustrating in some ways because it's like, I'd love to see more of this. But it's like Lee said as well, you know, it's a compliment because you are invested in what you got of it in here, which was nice. It's always difficult with the anthology format. And we just talked about this as well in our last podcast uh, when we reviewed the Predator book Turnabout, which had a short story sequel in Brian's anthology, If It Bleeds. And yeah, that that book had very slow pacing. But then the short story, I mean, they only have a limited amount of pages to work with. So the pacing's often much quicker. So especially when you have these sequel stories, and this one's more of a sequel to the movie, so I don't think it's a, it's impacted as much. But when you have sequel stories to the books, I think it's a bit more jarring, the pacing difference. 
But yeah, again, it is the frustrating thing because all the stories are short stories. And it's cool because you can try things that maybe a publisher wouldn't feel comfortable taking a whole book to try if they if they weren't sure about it. So you can go with more experimental ideas. But I do think you're right, Aaron, in that, yeah, there's there's too many stories in this that follow a kind of formula. Someone else on our boards mentioned that the aliens lose pretty much everyone except for maybe this one. Maybe you could say this one they don't. But yeah, I, I would like to see some some darker stories where like the aliens just kill them all and that's it. And like the alien wins or something or something from the alien perspective again. Like I know that was done in Buck Hunt, so it would be cool to see that back. But yeah, this story I, I just loved. And I know it's always kind of a tricky thing when when we hear about the family members, too. We always kind of groan at that when we when we hear it at first. But we've been proven wrong with with Amanda, who is handled very well in isolation. And I think Hanzo's brother here was handled really well. And he made for a really compelling character that also had us get to know Hanzo a bit more, like you said. I really like the idea of these anthologies as things to experiment with. Yeah. If if it bleeds, you would say would be more of a timeline experiment more than anything. Most of those were about playing with different time periods. There were, there were some that were a bit more out there, such as the one that was um, a cryptozoid in the middle of Storm something or other. Hurricane Katrina. I, yeah, I, I looked it up after the fact because I couldn't work out where they were going with it. And it's a, um, again, I apologize for the pronunciation, but the, the Rougarou, and it's, uh, it's a legendary creature in Cajun folklore. So it was, it was based on a real, quite a few of the shorts in that actually were based on either historical events or traditional legends, which was a nice touch, actually, I. So, you know, that that was something a bit more out there from what the rest of them were doing in, in Bug Hunt, not Bug Hunt, if it bleeds. But then it also in Bug Hunt, you have some really wild things, you know, like Scott Siegler's Aliens POV story. I say that like it's a good thing. Some of those are insanely wild in a bad way. <laughs> but, you know, the, the good ones in there were also also different. You know, Scott Siegler's, there was one I really liked where it was a survivor and a single Marine left. I won't spoil that one. That was fantastic as far as I'm concerned. So I like to see these being used for experiments, which is why I, when we get to my pick, you know, why I really like my pick because it's so wild compared to what a lot of them do. So, yeah, it would have been nice to see a lot a lot of them be a bit more structurally different and experiment more there, but it, it is what it is. Adam, why don't you do your pick? So it was a bit difficult for me to pick mine because there were a few of them that I really, really liked in this book. I almost went for Homestead, which again is is one of my favorites in the book. So this might be kind of tied with with some of those. Another I liked was uh, Film School. I thought that was was really cool, how it was just this group of documentarians trying to, to find out about a company secret and stumbled upon Alien and Predators. And that one I thought was really good. But the one I wanted to go with here was one that I enjoyed and one that I was really excited for upon first hearing that it would be a sequel to Phalanx. And that is Scott Siegler's Another Mother. His name keeps being brought up in this episode. Yeah, like... Because I talked about his, his short being, the other one being, you know, and Bughorn being a, a really good one. And of course, we all love Phalanx, and now you've picked him for this. Yeah. Oh, Seagler's good. We, we love Seagler. Like another full novel from, from him, definitely. But yeah, this is a sequel to Phalanx. This is set on Atagia, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Atagina? Atagina. Atagina. Okay. 
And this is one of those stories where I think your enjoyment will be directly dependent on whether or not you've read Phalanx. So if you haven't read Phalanx, I would hold off on this one until you've read Phalanx. Because again, this is one of those stories like the sequel to Turnabout where really you need to have read the previous material, I think. But I really like this one. It takes place quite a while after Phalanx, where Ahalia is now a general. 30 years, I think. After. Yeah, so she has a number of children now. I don't think it really brings up her husband too much, his character, which he was kind of a side character in Phalanx anyway. But it, it continues that really cool dynamic between her and Crean. And Crean has other crazy inventions now, like a land crawler pretty much that he's come up with since then. But they've essentially determined that there's a new alien hive. And so they're trying to locate and get rid of the hive as soon as they can before the outbreak gets out of control and almost wipes them all out as it as it almost did in the first book. But there also happens to be a female predator there who's supposed to be on an ecology mission because I guess she's the last of her line and the elders are overprotective and they don't want her to go on dangerous hunts yet. So, But she's frustrated. She wants to hunt more. She takes out a group of these runners that we saw in the first book, these runners being messengers between... I guess I should say, if you haven't read Phalanx, this is like a medieval kind of human society. This is the descendants of a long crashed spaceship, and they pretty much have castles and steam-powered things. Like It's it's really cool seeing, seeing humans on another planet in a medieval kind of society. And this this continues that. And the Predator actually makes observations of that. That's that's really interesting. Makes the connection, oh, these are more primitive, kind of like the ones we used to rule over back on Earth. So it was kind of cool to see that. But eventually, Crean, they see enough evidence from what remains of this runner group that Crean is like, this isn't from the aliens or the demons, as they call them. This is something new that's arrived on this planet. And they kind of have uh, a rough idea of space travel because they came across this human wreck in the book Failings, which Crean has, has studied and has a bit more of an understanding of than, than Ahalia and the others. But eventually, Crean and Ahalia, there's a team up between them and the female predator or an uneasy alliance, whatever you want to call it. Which I thought was like, there could have been a bit more resistance there, I think, given that they had stumbled upon their group of runners that had been taken out by this predator. So I kind of wish I had seen more resistance to that. But again, there was very much a, this is another enemy of my enemy situation. They could see what the predator could do. And it was very important that the queen be taken out. So uneasy alliance, they eventually find themselves on the predator ship who's taking them to the queen hive. And this predator is very like, oh, these primitives have trophies that I don't have. They would have higher standing in my clan. So the predator's kind of jealous. The predator wants a queen trophy for herself. And so they go to the queen's nest. And just like the first book, there's another battle in the hive where they all work together to take out the queen. And then the predator goes on her way. So yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy this one. I do wish it had gone a bit further in terms of like where things are with the world at this point, like the other holds. I know they mentioned that they had the invaders that were alluded to at the, the end of the other book, but they don't really go into that too much. So this was another story where I was like, oh man, you could have just had a sequel novel. And I know Siegler actually hopped onto our, our boards recently and said, oh, I would have loved to, but I had to just take the chance at this. So What's here is good. It's a solid read. And I really enjoyed seeing this world again and these characters again. They feel just like they did in the first book. I don't know what you guys think about this one. Yeah, it was it was definitely one of the sort of my favorites from the book. I will say that I, I don't want to say disappointed because that's that's an insult to, to Siegler. 
But I think that Phalanx was such a long book that spent such a long time building the world and establishing the characters that this just felt a little lightweight in comparison because it was so short. It didn't, it couldn't take the time to set everything up like the novel did. But it was it was fun seeing these characters meet yet another kind of alien. Like you said, there was some nice callbacks to, to Phalanx. The team up, I thought, was done fairly well. I get what you're saying about, you know, this guy, this this bitch just killed some of their friends. And then but I think it was more when they saw the Predator doing its thing and how much more advanced it was than them. They were like, you know, an alien to us, you've got maybe a 10% chance of surviving. Where this bitch is just wiping the floor with them. So they're like, you know, we're gonna stay behind her where it's safe. And I liked as well the idea of a predator that isn't necessarily a hunter. One of the other stories, um, Planting and Harvest, played with the same kind of idea, like predators that, for whatever reason, aren't put forward as hunters by predator society. You know, they're sort of held back in some way. And I thought that was a neat twist because, you know, they can't all be hunters, right? You know, they've got spaceships and they've got to get the weapons and the spaceships from somewhere. So they can't all be out skinning people all the time. And that was the same point that Black made when he was talking about the Predator. I know that's a bad example of that, but it is a really interesting component of, of the Predator society. Someone's working on these interstellar traveling ships, you know, so yeah. it is cool to see the Predator scientists and in this case, the ecologist, which it seemed like she wasn't you know, super into being an ecologist and wanted to be more of a warrior. But I would like to see more of those predator stories where, you know, hunting is a, is a very central core component of their culture, of course. But like you said, Lee, it's not, it's obviously not all they do. It can't. And perhaps for some, they can't do that. And I'm sure they want to contribute to their societies in, in other ways. And so um, it would be cool to see more of that. And, and it was nice to get a taste of that here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you bringing it up as well, you know, Blood and Harvest, which was Mira Grant's um, Shona Maguire, who was another returning author who wrote Alien Echo. Hers wasn't the only one that did that. You know, hers, was it Blood and Harvest? Planting and Harvest. Planting and Harvest. Hers had predators that were on like maintenance ships doing circuits of space, just fixing shit. And then there was another one, Cilia and Charybdis, you know, that had a, an entirely different type of of. It was still a hunter, but rather than take skins and, and trophies and stuff like that, that that predator took live trophies. You know, it, it made its own little zoo, basically. That was its trophies. So to see differences in the predators, I thought was a particularly uh, interesting highlight of some of these shorts. And like you guys have both said, you know, I liked it in I liked it in Another Mother. You know, this idea of somebody who goes to survey the prey first, you know, is this planet worth our time and effort? I thought that was a really interesting way to develop and expand on on the predator culture. I thought that was really cool. Agreed. And again, it's a female predator in this. Like, I think there's more female predators in this book than we've majority, majority, uh, yeah. ever had before in, in any predator media. So that was an interesting switch up to see as well. There's even a moment where Cream takes note of the Predator's armor and he's like, those boobies are nice and safe. And I couldn't help but think of you and how much you love the, the Predator boobies there. As much as I do enjoy hunting ground sometimes, I'm so pissed off. <laughs> that that made that the standard? The, the titty Predators are now canon thanks to that <laughs> fucking game. I, I hated seeing... That was something I disliked about a lot of the shorts in this was, oh, it's kind of curvy. It's got tits. It's a female. You know, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> as much as Crean's attitude and 
behavior towards that observation in this book was very cream and very funny and very blatant and, and obvious i was just like oh god i wouldn't have picked this one for a favorite i must be honest I feel bad for saying it because I do. I did really like Siegler's short in Bug Hunt. Like I said, I, I love Phalanx. It's one of my top five. But this one, I couldn't pick as it's good. It's solid, like much of you know the majority of them are. But it stuck so structurally similar to an AVP story. You know, it, it was a lot of the beats and a lot of the way the story played out was very typical. And that made it not stand out above the rest for me. And to be perfectly frank, I'm very surprised you picked it because I thought you would have gone Homestead, which I think would have been my third favorite, if I'm being honest. I It was difficult because there are some in this book that I really did enjoy. And I really did like going back to this world in this one. But yeah, it's hard. I get what you're saying. Even like Blood and Honor, it's kind of the same thing. You have to team up with the Predator to take out the Queen in this one. So that formula does appear and it is it is kind of here. And I would have liked to have seen, I guess, something even compared to Phalanx, right? They have to go to the Hive and take out the Queen. So it's kind of a repeat of that whole dynamic as well. But again, there's only so many pages to work with. And, and so I get it. You have to make a compelling story in a short anthology format. And I still thought it was a very enjoyable read. And I love seeing these characters back. For me, it's it's going to be one of the strongest and it's going to be one of the ones because Phalanx was so loved. It's going to be one of the ones people are, are the most interested in, which maybe was part of the reason why I chose it here, because for me, it is up there with those other stories. But yeah, now that you mention it, I think if I had to pick my absolute favorite, it would probably be Homestead. I, I think that one for me was like the story in this book where I was like, damn, that's that's what I want to see in, a, in an AVP story. But don't get me wrong. I did really enjoy this. A lot of the satisfaction is derived from the fact that it is a sequel to a book I love a lot. So seeing Alia's being 30 years in the future, you know, that she is this general now and, you know, talking about her family and stuff like that. And we see one of her her sons out in the field, seeing how Kreens developed and developed the technology. You know, they were a medieval society who now have steam powered vehicles and things like that was was super satisfying. You know, I was so invested in those characters to then return to them to see how they're doing was was fantastic. And there are a lot of team ups in the very shorts throughout here. And it is a generally a problem I have. Well, no, that's a lie. I struggle with how it's portrayed sometimes. You know, I, I'm quite vocal of not thinking Lex deserves the team up in the film. In here, I don't think I don't think I'd call it a team up as such, which is where it works for me in here. Adam was, you know, saying about how the predator in this was essentially jealous of the fact that Crean and Alia had the tooth tongs. They had their trophies, and this predator being a, an ecologist who wasn't permitted to be hunting was jealous. So it wasn't a team up, more of a, a kidnap than anything, because this predator was coming to the end of her time on on the planet and the elders were going to be showing up to take her back and she was like, shit, I need I'm I'm fucking doing this. If these if these plebs can kill an alien and take a trophy, I can too. So it was more of a kidnapping, show me where the aliens are because I haven't found any yet and let's crack on with it kind of thing. So that dynamic made it different for me and worked for me. And then the way that the characters were like, holy crap, look how easy this predator is taking out these aliens. Boo, by the way. Let's stick with it because this will make our lives a lot easier. Um, you know, Ali was talking about mobilizing thousands of troops to search the area and, and the amount of casualties that they'll take and stuff like that. So I completely understood it and it, and it worked really well for me. 
Um, I do wish we'd get a full story. I do, but I, I acknowledge that, you know, Scott's already said on the boards, yeah, that's unlikely to happen. This is the view of the future that I can give you. And I, I liked what nuggets we did get a development of the way that the world changed after the end of Phalanx. So don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed it. Just main issue was the formulaic nature of, of the basic story beats. Yeah. But I mean, that's where it gets hard to pick some of the ones that stand above in this because some of them, the majority of them are so similar in structure that, you know, sometimes they don't, it's not as easy for them to rise above and be noticeable. Yeah, I think ultimately with a lot of them, it just came down to how much I like the author's prose. Because you said the the sort of fundamental story was often quite similar. So the deciding factor was how much I liked the way it was written. Another cool moment was when they were riding along with a female predator in her her ship and helping her find where the queen was nested. And just like AVP, you had the the holographic map thing and Crean was just losing his mind of the technology that he was seeing in the ship and really excited about all that. So uh, it was another cool moment to see. Yeah, that was super satisfying. It was so much fun seeing these characters back. It really was. Again, this is this is a cool like story where we have an AVP story that's a sequel to a straight up alien book. And I like seeing that. I like seeing some of the crossover elements. I think you can keep them separate, but I'm not opposed to a prequel or a sequel being a crossover story if it's done well. And I think this one was done really well. I know, Aaron, you're you're more like keep them all separate, keep them all separate. But it's not so much. See, this book was supposed to be more leaning into the films, into the AVP films. My, my thing about keeping things separate is I don't want to lean into the AVP films. I have no problem with a shared universe. I have no problem with mixing everything up, you know. So that kind of see this being an AVP sequel to an Aliens thing it was, is no bother to me. It, it really isn't. It's just some of the incompatibility between some of the timelines that makes me cringe a little bit because, you know, AVP doesn't work in a prequel and all that bollocks. It's all that kind of stuff that I get frustrated with. But just the concept of a shared world, if it's done properly, I dig. You know, it's why I liked AVP as a concept all along. You know, I, it's one of the few crossovers I think work. And those elements where we did get to see genuine crossover back in the early days, back with like Berserker and an AVP war. Yeah, I enjoy. I have no problem with that. I just know you always bring up Concrete Jungle as your prime example of like, keep the aliens out. No, that's an entirely different argument. That is a predator story and predator gets so few fucking standalone things that to then have the aliens barge into it was what pissed me off about that it's not it's not the crossover it's the fact that it's supposed to be a predator it says predator on the box and then they throw the aliens in for two significant levels what about like if it bleeds where the alien gets an occasional mention that don't bother me it's just when they show up and start fighting in a standalone story well they barge into a standalone story more than anything yeah. That that's more that's more just defense of the predator not getting enough of its own thing to then being like, oh fuck it, throw aliens in there. Let's make AVP. Yeah. It's not that we've just had at the time three AVP stories that were immense well, two of which were immensely successful. Four AVP stories back then, I guess. AVP, AVP two, Primal Hunt, Extinction. Yeah. Extinction immensely successful. No, that's why I said two. Oh. Successful ones. There were four four entries. And then you get this this predator standalone thing where it just barges AVP into it. It's like I wanted a predator story. 
Yeah, I can see that. I guess the most extensive crossover shared universe we've had would probably be the Rage War trilogy, because like you said, it had the weird branding, it had the branding of all three, as well as Life and Death, Fire and Stone, which had four brandings. It had Prometheus, Alien, Predator, and AVP, but they were all in all of them. So yeah, I guess it is good to, if it's an alien story, let's focus on the aliens. If it's a Predator story, let's focus on the Predators. But in terms of like an AVP sequel, like if this was a full book compared to Phalanx, you wouldn't have taken issue with that. Not at all. Should we talk about my pick? Which I was surprised by your pick too. You went with Hotel Mariposa. Yeah, I did indeed. Which the author described as the shining with alien and predators. That is exactly what came to mind when I was reading it. <laughs> and I've never seen The Shining. I'm going to say that right now. What? I know. There's, there's, there's loads of predators in it. You'd love it. <laughs> little, little, little twin predators. <laughs> Sequel's yeah. really good too. Doctor, Doctor Sleep. Sleep. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I don't tend to watch a lot of Stephen King related things, to be honest. I like Dreamcatcher. I really enjoyed Dreamcatcher. That's like the worst you Stephen did? King movie. I did. The only person I know who's had anything good to say about I, that. I love that film. I've... I always used to say that Morgan Freeman has never made a bad movie. And then I saw fucking Dreamcatcher. I've not seen it in... I enjoy it for how bad it is. 10 years, but I loved it. I used to love that film so much. Oh, I hated that film so badly when I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> and of course the new it's i've really enjoyed those but in general no stephen king stuff i don't tend to get interested in but this whole premise here was brilliant as far as i'm concerned so you know how i was just saying i hate things that lean into the avp side of things as in the avp movie side of things so because of that there is a significant chunk of stories in here that are set on earth and that's a very much a love it, hate it kind of thing. And I'd rather they be set in space. You know, the first, what, three or four stories in? Yeah, I think about the first three stories in here. No, four stories. I did see a gripe on our forum that was like, with so many of these encounters on Earth, like, how, how are they all covered up? They don't space them out as well. So you get four set on Earth before you finally get into space. I think they should have been evened out a bit more. So it wasn't so noticeable. If I remember right, the Alien anthology, Bug Hunt, that really suffered from the way the stories were sequenced as well. I seem to remember that being a problem. Would, would like, yeah. I, I have a feeling a whole bunch of Aliens prequels featuring the Marines came like one after the yeah, other. Yeah, they did. The book. You were quite right. Yeah, it, and if they just spread them out a little bit, it would have, yeah, it's, it's having them all lumped together, just it really wasn't the right way to go, I don't think. But yeah, so that's something I'm always a little bit about, but I com I understood the intent of the book. But the I pick one that's set on a, a haunted hotel in the middle of nowhere, I think was very weird for me. I'm, I'm not going to lie. But I loved this. I really loved Hotel Mariposa because it was such... It does what I like from these anthologies. It experiments. So it's not just the normal structure of things. It, again, there are similar beats in here. All of them are pretty much guilty of that, apart from um, Kodai, really. But it's it's the one that I feel is the most experimentative with what it's actually doing within the narrative. So it's placing the alien and predator in a haunted house, a, a very standard, typical haunted house kind of thing where you round a corner and suddenly you're somewhere else or time seems to pass. And it's because there's a hotel that has been constructed on the site of an alien, lowercase a, 
spaceship that's crashed there hundreds of years ago. And it was using some kind of propulsion drive that the Predators didn't understand that warped space and time to move. And that drive malfunctioned, the ship crashed, uh, nature took over, a hotel was built on top of it. But this drive was still functioning, malfunctioning. So all the typical trappings of a horror story were being caused by this distortion in space and time. And I thought that was brilliant. There's so much in there that I just I dug. You know, the Predators were aware of this and they knew it was crazy. They had no idea how the drive worked. They just knew that it had an effect that made things more challenging. So that it was it was this favorite hunting ground because of that, which was, I, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was a brilliant concept. And the Predator in here as well. You know, we talked earlier about different professions as such, but in here we had different I guess behaviors from the predator you know this this one was on about you know like I don't want to say hippie-ish but you know (laughs) communing with the land getting getting the lay of the land kind of thing you know getting a feel for the hunting ground but then as as you go into the backstory as well you know this this particular predator in here his drive is to make up for the shame that he feels due to his mother because his mother was an alcoholic (laughs) I think I had more of an issue with that no it's it's not quite an alcoholic it's depression she's depressed and then becomes what did they alcoholic call it? There was a, there was melancholic a, yeah and she was addicted to the the fermented juice of this one flower or something she becomes an alcoholic because she's depressed and i struggled with it a little bit to start with until i realized that it was more about the depression than it was about the the booze and i was like okay this is a culture that is so focused on movement you know, on a hunt, on doing things. And the idea that they could suffer, you know, mental illnesses that would stop her, you know, she couldn't do anything. And how the predators reacted to it, you know, to them, it was shame. And she was cast out and walked into the desert. And this predator, I mean, you know, if we're looking at it from a human point of view, now that fucking sucks. (laughs) You know, that's a shit way to treat people with issues. But these are the predators. And from a fictional point of view, you know, it's like, oh, that's interesting and it makes sense and it's different and I like that. And then the the space-time warping thing also allowing some level of understanding, you know, between the surviving human and the predator and, and their shared sort of experience was interesting to me as well. You know, the, the way it all fucked everything up and made them almost... I don't want to describe it because it's going to sound terrible if I try and put it across. But, you know, their their minds were essentially together and they completely understood each other and their experiences because the main character in this, I forgot her name, was it Lucy or something like that? No, Lucy was Homestead. Carol. Carol, yeah. You know, her mother had abandoned, abandoned her as a child, so there was some level of crossover as to their experiences. And I, I liked that it leaned into a not-typical way of having them together because it's not a, really a team up in here sure the predator offers her the finishing blow and again i have a problem with the way that the <laughs> mariposa treats the alien but we do get a single one and it's not just blasted out and blasted out but yeah i, I have a problem with because the, you know the the predators always big up the aliens as the the ultimate prey you know it says it on the fucking title there and you have the the predator being all jazzed and excited as he tracks the progress of the the egg hatching and trying to guess which one of the hosts is going to is going to be the one to then the actual final kill is uh, I thought this would have gone better you know this could have been more interesting this is the predator thinking this to then you know when they have these weird space time warpings and uh, mel- melding of minds kind of thing and he offers the carol the killing blow yeah 
that's a problem throughout a lot of the the, the shorts, and it, and it does knock the overall score down, you know, a peg or two for me. But yeah, no, you know, the human characters as well. They're there doing what would you call them? What would you compare it to? Can't think of any actual like the ghost encounters kind of kind of shows where they're filming in a spooky location and you know a lot of it's just staged where they're trying to find ghosts it actually reminded me of these movies that you probably haven't seen either aaron called grave encounters if you watch grave encounters one and two which are worth watching they're both really cool uh found footage style horror films they reminded me of this story more than anything if you watch those you'll you'll know what i'm talking about but yeah, so so this was very much, you had these three human characters, right? And one of them was her boyfriend, and the other one was one who wishes he was her boyfriend. And there's kind of a dynamic there as well. But yeah, they, they had like a successful first season and a kind of middling second season of this show, and they want to be renewed for a third season. And so they're trying to make a Halloween special here, and they're like, we have to find something really scary. And of course, two of them end up being killed, and, and this is our, our final girl, our last survivor. One of the things I really liked about the story was the sort of previous hauntings in inverted commas that had supposedly happened at this hotel. It was just the key. The key to this story is it was one of those stories where you're 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 going through it, you're reading it and it's setting up all these things that make no sense. And the whole way through, I was worrying that the reveal was going to be stupid. But then when the reveal came, it was like, holy shit, that works. Like it just suddenly clicked into place. And that was what I loved so much about it. It sort of set me up for a fool that then never happened. Like Aaron says, the uh, just the whole setup of this weird gravity drive that's warping space and time, it fits perfectly with the alien universe. It's very unknown, isn't it? It's very, yeah. could be anything. You've also got the Predator saying, they don't understand this shit. Like that really sort of puts it on a whole other level because these guys have been shown to be way more advanced than we are and even they haven't got a fucking clue. Like that really sort of puts it on a whole other level of so what the shit is going on here? You know what I mean? It's um yeah, no, this was uh, you asked me when we were setting this up for like my my top 3 so we could pick which ones we were going to do and this was another of my picks. I really enjoyed this one. You know, you were saying about the setup as well. So they're talking about like the previous hauntings and it all pays off as well in what actually happens in in the actual present day. You know, like a a woman who's swimming and then suddenly can't see the end of the pool and she's swimming for hours and nearly drowns. Or you have like the random guests that everybody assumes is murders. And 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 the the dude who just gets lost in the corridors for like days and nearly starves to death just wandering around. Like I loved all that stuff. It was it was great. And it all played into what happened to them as well. You know, like that whole thing with the hands, it was hands coming out of the toilet to get me kind of thing. I was like, I loved it. I really did. And the time warp factoring into, you know, getting around the gestation period as well. You know, I was like, this works so well for me. I dug it. It It was written so well. And that one, that one was written by, I should know his name because he's writing the next book and that's going to be something that I was going to mention. David Barnett. David Barnett. So as of recording, his book, Aliens, Col- Alien, Colony Wars, hasn't come out yet, but it, it will be out by the time this episode actually goes live. So I'm actually quite curious to see how Colony Wars turns out based on just how much I fucking love this short. Yeah, I hadn't tweaked that he was doing that book. I'll look forward to that even more now because, I, again, this was one where I liked his writing style. Mm-hmm. And that'll be a continuation of kind of the plot lines that Alex White set up in their first two books, Cold Forge and Into Cryptus. So 
it'd be cool to see that that like world continued by a different author this time even though of course i'd love to see alex come back mm-hmm. well what what did you think of of hotel then because i remember you being uncertain of this concept i liked it yeah at first some of the things we we had heard about this concept i was like i don't know about this one and i think you were more on board for it than me but i think in the end it turned out pretty well honestly I do think there's some of the whole like mind meld kind of elements where it's like, oh, we both lost our mother. And I was like, but I don't know. I feel like it was handled in a way that it was fine. And it did present some interesting ideas as well. This is not something we typically see between this sort of like empathetic emotional connection between a human and a predator. And, you know, it was interesting. You know, I might have my my reservations about it, but it was still interesting. I can't deny it was. And the, the setting was really cool. The location was really cool. Again, it really reminded me of those movies that you should check out, Aaron. But you know me, I have a soft spot for the found footage genre, so. You would love these movies then, yeah. Grave Encounter, both of them are good. And they really remind me of the story more than anything. So I, I think the setting was was great. Again, like when we start getting into like the event horizon drives and stuff, I know I'm like, oh, this is getting a little too, too out there for the alien universe. But, you know, no. we saw we saw that in Apocalypse, the Destroying Angels. But it feels alien in that unknowable, otherworldly kind of way. But those are fan nitpicks, right? Like when I look at this, is it a solid read? Is it an engaging story? Yeah, I think it's pretty good. I, I thought the whole boyfriend angle dynamic you're cheating on me thing like was kind of like didn't really go anywhere. Like, I don't know. But it's, it's, it's giving just desserts, isn't it? Yeah. So this one was your favorite, though, out of all of them. Yeah. So my, my top three, well, I, I struggled to pick a third, actually. Hotel Mariposa and Kodai were definitely my top two. I struggled to pick a top three because they were. I, I found them all again structurally very similar. Um, to the point where some were a little bit harder for me to pick out, but so many of them were just really solid, really good shorts. So I'm guessing this one wouldn't have been in your top three then. No, but I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I disliked it. I would say it was decent, and there were things about it I enjoyed. Just wasn't enthusiastic about it as as you were. Yeah. You know me, I like the ones that try and be different. And yeah, this one. And I'll give it credit for that. The setting was really interesting. And even though I thought that that connection thing was a bit silly at first, it was presented in a way that it did end up being interesting for me. And I didn't have as big of a problem with it as I thought I would. Should we talk poo-poos then? Yeah, so here's here's the part where we have to be negative. Sorry. But there are there are two stories in this book. So as you said earlier, Aaron, we were going to pick three of the most positive ones and three of the most negative ones for us and try that as kind of a format to review anthologies because we can't go through every story. Otherwise, this would be like a five-hour podcast. But there was only two stories in this book that I think we all universally mm-hmm. were like, yeah, these are the, these are the weakest ones. And honestly, based on some of the the comments we've seen on our boards, I think people are in agreement that these seem to be the two most disliked stories from what we can tell. Mm -hmm. So those two, and I'm sorry, folk, I'm sorry if you're the writer, (laughs) was um, uh, Blood and Honor by Susan L. Landon and Better Luck Tomorrow by Curtis E. Chen. And actually, I do know what my third favorite would have been looking through it now. Carbon Rights, quite easily. Carbon Rights. Oh, your third favorite? Third favorite, yeah. So, sorry. So, the the ones that we all disliked were Blood and Honor and A Better Luck Tomorrow. Yeah. I don't really know where to start. Let's start. Should we start with Blood and Honor? Because that was, that was the earlier one. Now, I wouldn't call this one terrible. 
It's not on the same level of terrible as Better Luck to Borrow is. I'm sorry, that one is easily one of the worst in the franchise, which I'm sure Lee will tell you what the other worst one in the franchise is when we pass it over to him. But I've already forgot the name again. Blood and Honor was... To me, it felt like somebody had just watched the films for the first time and gone, you know what, I fancy writing some fan fiction, and then proceeded to rely too overly on Xenopedia or other fan fiction for terms that are part of the fan lexicon, but not necessarily within um, within the actual universe. And you had the main character making absolutely dire, stupid decisions that really just yeah, it felt like fan fiction and it felt like poor, uninformed fan fiction to me. That is generally about the extent of what I can tell you as to why I dislike this one so much. It, it wasn't well written. It didn't feel like the author knew the universe very well and the main character was an idiot. <laughs> I actually started out quite enjoying this one to begin with and then it, it just kind of went to pieces by the end I mean, it, it felt reading it the feeling I got was that they did their first draft and then they started sort of refining it and tweaking it and got maybe halfway through and then ran out of time to tidy up the end because it really went off a cliff and it's like you said it was just inconsistent tonally inconsistent factually with the franchise it's supposed to be based on and the, the fanfic comment is apt. Like I said, I think that's I think you've hit the nail on the head with that. So like I said, I, I was quite enjoying the start of it and then it just fell apart by the end. So yeah, not not a great read. Go on, Adam, tell them what happens. So well, let me give my brief opinions on it first. Yeah, this this was one of the wilder ones. And I do feel like some of the initial things we we heard about this one were so crazy that I kind of regret some of the things we we advised Aaron because I'm like it might have been more fun if it was just that insane. But I don't know. So I I feel the setup is pretty interesting, right? We have this ship that's scouting out this world for potential colonization. You have a meeting between this colonial marine commander, his lieutenant, who we also find out is his lover, as well as a like a Wayland Utani representative, who's pretty much barking orders at this colonial marine commander, which I thought was weird. I mean, you never saw that with Burke. Like this is obviously a point in the timeline that's way far in the future. And if we're going by Fireteam Elite, which the writer wouldn't have known about. But if we're going by Fireteam Elite, like the Colonial Marines have had a big corruption reform at this point. So I wouldn't have seen like Wailing Utani rep just barking orders at the commander. But regardless, the the um, they're not sure about the location of this queen and the hive and the extent of it. So they're being sent out. And again, if this is if this is not only the aliens, but the predators are common knowledge because they talk about a science scout team that was lost then yeah, like for them to just be like, oh, go in there and kill them all so we can set up a colony. It's just a bit like, it's a bit blunt, I think, in terms of like how they would handle with this this kind of a situation. So the meeting ends where the Marine commander essentially tells tells him, no, we're not gonna scout this out until we know more. And then there's a bit of a love scene between him and his lieutenant and they're having an affair. So he's married, uh, his wife is back on some world, I guess. But it's also like her father is this majority shareholder or something or partial owner in the ship. I don't know. There's a weird kind of dynamic with that. But he he drugs her, his lieutenant. And because of this affair, I guess somehow his wife knew knew about it. And there was a moment. She knows about this. The 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 main character. Here's the thing about, you know, the, the wife knowing about it yeah. and being told basically, get rid of her. 
do something about it. It's worse than that. It's like, kill her, daddy will be very happy. Like, that's literally the line. And so some of the dialogue in this is just, ugh. But I did like elements about the setting, especially once... So the story actually begins with her remembering what's happening here as flashbacks. And she's dropping in a pod like ODST style down into this like desert planet, which she has like a suit that recycles sweat, kind of like Dune style. And eventually she gets to a forest. And it is kind of interesting hearing the the environments of this planet described going from like these desert dunes to now we're in a forest. And there's also these like wrecked ships that was a battle between colonial marines and predators. So there's some interesting locations here. And once this character gets to the forest, they eventually remember that they were betrayed by their lover after the wife said, oh, just kill her. But he didn't just kill her. He drugged her, put her in an escape pod and sent her to the planet, which, I mean, wouldn't you want to just blow her out of an airlock if you were going to kill her at that point? I don't, I don't know. But maybe he couldn't bring himself to do that or something. But it, it did seem, yeah, so she also heard the call. So he didn't have this call with his wife when his lover was in the room, hearing her say, why don't you just kill her? And she's like, oh, I thought you loved me. And then he just hands her a drink, which is poisoned. And she drinks it. And um, it's at this, this point, I'm like, are you serious? There's just too many nonsense moments like that in this. Regardless of the strong setting, I thought the planet was interesting. The fact that it was in the far future, like maybe there could have been more rage war connections here. I don't know. So she eventually comes across a female predator, another main predator character is female, bound to, I don't know, bound by this fire. And she had been kind of tortured. And there's also like another predator that's that's hunting them. And it's kind of alluded to that this predator is the one that bound her and some of her other companions, that this predator might be hunting female predators, I guess. But anyway, uh, she essentially makes the same deal that Royce made with crucified, right? I'll cut you out of your binds and you get me off this planet, pretty much. So other team up here, they go back to this female predator ship and use some, uh, I guess they treat their wounds and the predator gives Ken Kantaris, that's her name, Kai Kantaris, an antidote for the poison because the poison was slowly degrading their health. And then this is another nonsense moment. They're like, oh, we need honor. So we're going to go out and fight two queens. So we have like an ancient queen this was kind of interesting too. They talk about the queen is almost fossilized, like older. And it reminded me of that queen from AVP 2010. That was just a really old queen that was really ragged looking. And there's a younger queen too. So there's like, she's like, let's just get out of here. And the female predator is like, no, we have to, well, she doesn't really talk. She, she communicates with her in terms of mimicry. But again, I thought Kai was very like chatty with the predator <laughs> for not really understanding them. Like there was a lot of convenient like, oh, you're trying to tell me exactly this thing, you know, kind of thing. But they go out and the two of them are taking on these two queens, but the queens end up fighting each other. So you see like the competition between the older queen that kills the newer queen. And that was another moment. I guess we've kind of seen that. We've seen fighting hives before, right? Genocide. I mean, that was a bit. They weren't exactly the same species of alien in that one, but well, the 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 red and the black thing was more visual ease. The book does it better, where it's like they're the same. So the the other predator that was hunting them, I think he just gets taken out quickly by the queens. So it's a bit anticlimactic in that one. And then Kai finds herself in this river that's about to go over a waterfall, and you have all these warrior drones. Also, they're killing a lot of Praetorians in this one too both of them. And so the ship raises up and she lands on top of the ship and the queen 
tries to, but falls off and then they just fly away. And she's like, Oh, drop me off at the space station. Will ya? And it's like, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I didn't like this one either. It's fan fiction. It feels like fan fiction. <laughs> Sucks to say that. Like, again, I feel like you're going to find more good than bad in this anthology. Well, yeah, the majority, the majority is great. It's how many shorts? Was it 16? I'm sure it says it on there. 15. 15 shorts, two bad ones. So 13 solid books. Majority is great. I had a problem with the nicknames in this. That was another thing that contributed towards she the fan fiction She decides to just feeling. name her female predator Blood Venom because it's badass. And I'm like, what? And then there's old <laughs> Rhino or something like that. To, to be fair, I always struggle with predator names anyway. And a lot of the hero ones in the later ones, I, I kind of roll my eyes at because I, I can't be dealing with all these Klingon-esque kind of names. I think even the Predator in the one I loved in Hotel. It is funny to hear the audiobook Him too. Try and try and do those. Yeah. As well. And and the, the different pronunciations of the ouch kind of stuff. So like the the main ones in the stories I like, you know, they they the Klingon-esque for me and I don't like it. Yeah, I always struggle with the ouch Predator. People trying to do them. Give me give me the simple names, give me Deshande and Titende and stuff like that. Don't give me Hindu and all these guttural <laughs> exclamation mark names anyway sorry run over anybody else got anything left to say on that one i, I think you've i think you've pretty much nailed it okay so shall we talk talk about one of the worst novels in not novels the worst entries in alien or predator law <laughs> literature do we have to <laughs> oh my god well i mean and this yeah. this sucks right because like Maybe we should have started with the bad ones and ended yeah. on the good ones for this maybe. review. Well, well, okay, we'll have a few. Or maybe we should have done a better job of spacing it out. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, good point there. I don't know. Maybe we could do a few honorable mentions after this one. Yeah, maybe we'll finish with the ones we didn't talk about. But yeah, so it sucks to, to be like, hey, this was bad. But I mean, we're fans. Not every story is going to resonate with us. And some are just going to be really sloppily handled. And unfortunately, this was. This was, it felt like another young adult story, but bad. Like Mira Grant or Son and McGuire did an amazing job at a young adult story in the Alien universe, which was still a young adult story. So there were a few moments where we were kind of rolling our eyes a little bit, but overall just a fantastic read. But this is like all the tropes of a, a young adult story, I would say. So th there are all these teenagers and they're on this science fair field trip on a luxury yacht. It's on a colony world. I guess they're going to this Weyland Yutani research lab on this cliffside, and they're taking the yacht there, and they're doing the science fair on the yacht. Very interesting setup, I think, in terms of just the setting. And our main character is this young girl who lost both of her parents in a power loader accident, but a very bright student, but not too bright that she's not going to do an underhanded deal with a Weyland Yutani executive who happens to be on the ship who's like scouting out for company talent or something like that, but is also just a drug addict sniffing pink cocaine <laughs> before he does these deals. So um, they go to a secret room of this like part of the boat. I guess her parents came across alien eggs and contain them, but she doesn't know what they are, but he does. And that was another thing. Like for a company executive, he's, he's kind of spilling company secrets left and right in this story. But he's like, oh, I'll give you the money later. Just trust me or whatever after he like is all drugged up. And the main character, what was her name in this one? Did we all forget? Yeah. <laughs> okay, whatever. Lena, was he just said <laughs> Lily? Yeah. Uh, to Lily. be fair, I have the notes next to me. Yeah, she's Lily. 
Yeah, and also she has a, a prosthetic arm. Which was cool. Yeah, and that, that was a cool feature. And she's kind of bullied by her fellow students about it, which I'm like, assholes, okay, but whatever. But she uses it to her advantage in this story. But yeah, so she's doing this deal to try and sell these alien eggs to this company executive to get money to, to get off the planet. And there's also their science teacher there who's kind of guiding this little field trip. And then the executive does something really stupid. <laughs> they literally have a tugging war over the eggs. <laughs> then the container breaks and the face huggers get out and he locks her in the room. But there's like a, a hatch on the floor that she manages to escape from. And there's these these rodent creatures. They call them happy bars, I guess, like capybaras. <laughs> they called them happy because they had a, a permanent grin on their face. Right. So the face huggers go for those. But for people who aren't aware, what the fuck's a, a capybara? It's, it's a big ass rat, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Like a cross between a beaver and a rat or something. But like cat dog size kind of. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty big, I think. You know, sort of medium dog size, I think. Yeah. So help me out here, Aaron, because... <laughs> it's just terrible. So she's getting away in the secret compartment, right? I think, I think she, she drops a bulkhead, doesn't she? Yeah, she drops a bulkhead to separate her from the... Yeah, and then the face huggers escape, and then they start attacking people. Um, a load of the happy bars get infest infected. Turns out Wayland Yutani's been stealing stuff off a crash predator ship. Another predator ship shows up, bombs their base. Oh, you're doing a really quick version. <laughs> Detects the aliens on the boat, maybe. And then remember when like a face hugger attacks. Um... Attacks the teacher and two children pull it off and, of him. And drags one into the ocean as well, and then right. they, it swims back. This also has a very fast implantation time, because this yeah. is like minutes later, and then mm -hmm. we have these full-grown giant rat aliens. Oh, the, the, the rat aliens have whiskers. I'd forgotten yes. about that. Oh, my God. And so it, it pulls one of the, the boys over the, the edge, and there's a yell like, man overboard. And that's the end of it. Yeah, the kid's, the kid's just dead. Left to drown. <laughs> they yell men overboard, but that's the last we hear of that person. This science teacher was just so fucking irresponsible as well. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Oh, and there's another moment where this female student, after she's escaped from these facehuggers, is like, oh man, my day's terrible. Oh wait, here's these this pink cocaine that this executive was doing. Why don't we try some? And <laughs> she gets a little high off the drugs. No, she doesn't. Does she? She doesn't hate it. I don't think she does it. I think she just realizes that it's alkaline yeah. and will counteract the, the acid blood somehow. As in, she somehow realizes it. I get that alkaline neutralizes acid. I, I liked that aspect of it. I liked her using, you know, the science kind of stuff to, to work through some answers. Yeah, it just seemed like a leap. How does she know that space coke... Is alkaline? Is cocaine alkaline? <laughs> I don't have enough drug knowledge to know. I, I must be honest. Obviously, she does. But like you know, the things like with the frying pan as well. So using it as an acid-resistant thing, I'm not sure how well that would hold up against molecular acid. But the you know the the principle, I kind of was like, yeah, okay, I like this part. Okay. Oh wait, wait a minute. So she's about to do the drugs. So it says. Lily held up the powder to the light and wondered if it was really as great as Bevatoire seemed to think it was. It wouldn't solve any of her problems, but maybe it would help her forget about them for a while. Of course, after the drug's effects wore off, she'd still have the same problems to deal with. Fuck my life. 
So I assumed she had taken a bit, but it's just kind of oddly worded there. But she didn't. So yeah, rat aliens start killing everybody. A predator drops down, starts killing the rat aliens, and then yeah, decides she wants the frying pan. Oh, and then pan. the predator shows up. No, there's no frying pan. In. So it's a saw blade with some sort of special coating, which comes back later. And the predator's like, "What is this? Like, you have acid resistance?" That is so fucking stupid. It's not like the predators have acid resistant stuff already that we've seen. It's not like they don't have. Yeah, they don't have. And we know some of them, you know, the wrist blades, we've seen that they, they melt and some of the armor will melt. But I always assume, you know, that's related to the challenge. But we know they have acid-resistant material. There's the fucking combi stick yeah, and, right. and some of the restraints and stuff like that. So when I got to that bit, I was just rolling my fucking eyes. I was like, this is terrible. This makes no sense. And there's another point where they they all kind of meet back up and and the executives just like kind of a flailing maniac at this point like ah screw the kids i'm just gonna get out of here where's the lifeboat but um she confronts the predator they know nothing about this thing which just appeared on the ship and one of the students is like greetings visitor and i'm like (laughs) oh my god (laughs) (laughs) this this random kid's just seen his mate get attacked by a face hugger and rat aliens or some Something like that. I, I can't even really keep the events of the book that straight, to be honest. Uh, the short that straight. And then, yeah, the Predator drops down from the the spaceship, and it's just like, oh, cool. And a, a, a visitor from... <laughs> teacher, why aren't you more excited about this alien? Literally, that's what they say, yeah. The teacher's like, hey, we need to get out of here. He's like, no, we have real science here. And then, and then later, the main character confronts the predator and like pretty much does an outburst. Like, you want to go? Let's go! Like, and it's just like, uh, yeah, yeah. So they eventually all get off the boat somehow, <laughs> and evil executive guy gets his. He gets face hugged, and I guess the predator was after him all along. And then the science teacher who was with them is like, "Well, you didn't really know what you were doing. You were young, so I'm sure we'll get you a scholarship or something." In the end. So, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I have one sentence to sum up this book. You never, not book, this short. You never go full Kenner. <laughs> I mean, you could go Kenner, but never go full giant rat alien. Yeah, it just applies to the whole feel of this particular short story. It is so comically bad. Thing is, it wasn't even like you could do a completely insane story and do it well. This was just bad. Like, it's like it didn't even know how bad it was. Yeah, like like the author was just completely unaware of the fact that it was bad. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> oblivious. And it felt so like the young adult tone of it as well felt so out of place with the rest of the stories in this book. Yeah, especially when you then have the likes of Homestead, which is just pure fantastic horror. Yeah, yeah, that was that was dark. So let's move to that one, shall we? <laughs> yeah. So so two 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 bad shorts. Out of 15, they're terrible. That one in particular, Better Luck to Borrow, is is up there with Lee. What's the other shit, shit, shit alien? <laughs> Darkness Falls out of Bug Hunt, which at the time I said is... I've, I think I've read every alien book apart from Echo and pretty much every Predator book and pretty much every AVP book. And Darkness Falls, at the time I said, is the worst alien or Predator story I've ever read. And I think this might have just joined Mm -hmm. it. It was just... Even some of the real bad books have some redeeming stuff in them, but these two were just... I hate to offend anyone, but they were... And Darkness Falls was the centipede one, wasn't it? Oh yeah, giant space centipedes that have 
And again, it was it was just the way it was written. It was like it just completely missed the mark in yep. every way. Let's talk about honourable mentions then, just to end the episode on a slightly more positive note. <laughs> so Homestead. We won't fully go through the stories of all these. We'll just give some some basics and, and things we liked about them. Homestead was an Old West setting. There were a couple of similarities with AVPR, which I particularly loved initially, and I know you weren't so hot on air. Yeah, but it was so well written. It was very well written, and uh, I will say it's it's cool to see uh, a new type of use of the DNA reflex. There are livestock aliens in this that are that's horse alien, yeah, really cool. Yeah, horse aliens, and it's not a focus at all, which is which was so good about it. It was just a yeah, brief mention. They're never really described. It's just kind of hinted at that they're yeah. This was this was one of my favorites as well. Actually, it was thoroughbred horror. Like it was very. It's what AVPR kind of wanted to be, isn't it? Really, it was it was AVPR except that it was good. This was the most horror story of the whole book mm-hmm. i think like darkest yeah intel. easily and even the tie into avpr you know the it's, it's an egg an egg barfing thing and a belly burster thing and i hate that but it's done so well in this you know this this horror yeah. nightmare thing of the pred alien looming over her over the human and the dark ending as well you know when she finally pops i was like i hate these concepts but this is so goddamn well written that it was it was just tension yeah. all around it was yeah brilliant Brilliant. uh, Delilah something. Delilah S. Dawson. Well, they don't specify it was a Predalien. Well, it it had to be a Predalien. Could have been a young queen. (laughs) The the book says it's a shadowy figure, but we all know what it is in. in, It's a molten queen, just like Colin said. Shut your fucking (laughs) face. So for for me, my other honourable mention would be Carbon Rights, as I said earlier. Uh, that was Jess Landry, I believe. Another one that's a little bit of a twist on the alien uh, on the Earth setting. You know, you think it's this white picket fence kind of nineteen fifties American town that ends up being like a one of many scenarios being run by the USM. You know, so a resurrection reference there. You don't get many of those normally for good reason, but it, it was so unimpactful in in the story, other than it being you know in the future. Really enjoyed that one. Really enjoyed that one. Very well written. I, I like the idea of the scenarios thing. It, it kind of gave me... <sighs> fuck, I forgot the name of the film. The really good horror film that sort of took the piss out of all the tropes. Oh, Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, Cabin in the Woods, yeah. And it kind of gave me Cabin in the Wood vibes. Really, really enjoyed that one. I thought it was really good. Yeah, that was that was a good one. Honestly, movie. it kind of reminded me of the movie Resident Evil Retribution, the fifth Anderson movie. I know it's terrible. I, I never got anywhere near <laughs> yeah. that far through It that is series. terrible, but the whole, whole movie takes place <laughs> in this underwater base that has these giant recreations of different cities where they like stage outbreaks as tests and stuff. So this kind of reminded me of that. Bad movie, though. But <laughs> yeah, this, this story was a fun read. Had some had some nice nods to previous stories with mention that a lot of the test scenarios were based on recorded previous encounters with the aliens, and it threw out threw in a few references to you know you, there was a reference to Berserker in there mm-hmm. and Prometheus, and so that was a nice little touch. Do you have any um, last ones, Lee? Yes, did get mentioned earlier, but Planting and Harvest by uh, Sean and Maguire, credited as Mira Grant. Again, it was another one that sort of structurally was very much in keeping with 
a lot of the others, but just uh, the way it was written, I really enjoyed. I, I especially loved it's set on this space station where they have horticulturalists researching foodstuffs that are sort of more suitable to spacefaring applications. So foods, you know, cereals that will last longer in storage aboard spaceships and crops that are more suited to colony worlds where maybe the, you know, the atmosphere is different. And it was some wonderfully sort of darkly comic moments where they talk about all this staff are on this sort of out of the way station because of all of the people they've unintentionally killed while doing this research. Like they've made food that has poisoned a whole load of colonial marines and they haven't gone to prison for it. They've just sort of been pushed out of the way so they can do their research quietly. So there was some great sort of black comedy in it. And yeah, I just, I love the way it was written. I love the idea that the human never sort of really meets the predators in the story, except for one very small glimpse at the end where they kind of look at each other and they have respect for the help that she's given them during the course of the story. And yeah, it was, I said, it was perhaps structurally unremarkable, but I just, I really liked Shaunan's prose. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I dug it. I, I, I liked, it was very world-buildy, I thought. You know the the idea of this yeah, yeah, this definitely. station that was out there doing research to help feed everybody in space. You know, I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, I really enjoyed a lot of the world building that went off. Uh, just like you were saying, you know, it's very dark humor as well, without being alien resurrection kind of thing. I found it really satisfying reading it. You know, you guys know I like the the fuck the world kind of elements of the franchise and i like the dark and the unfair and i just love the way you know just the tone that shonen used in that in that short was just yeah yeah although i do think that was a little a little bit different you know in terms of tone not tone in terms of the way the story played out you know that was that was interesting and it wasn't really a team much as such but again it was another one where the aliens are kind of all pissed upon yeah, they, they were a little bit, but um, I think maybe that was early enough in the book that that hadn't yeah, got to me fair. yet. But yeah, I think even... I mean, the great thing about anthologies is that you do not have to sit and fucking read them from A to B. You go, I fancy reading this, that short about that plant space station. You just go and pick it up and you read the, you know, you read the bit. So they're doing it, they do exist in isolation as well as being a part of this whole package. Yeah, and it's a lot easier to go back to a story that's only 50 page longer than it is to go back to a novel that's 500. You know, you can pick it up and spend an hour reading it and then you've you've done with it and you can move on with something else. You know, it's a good short, sharp mm-hmm. bite. Would we recommend this book? Yeah. Again, even even with the, the couple we weren't super happy about, I, I think it's more good than bad here, honestly. Definitely. If there's one story I think the book could just do without it, it's the better luck to borrow one. Which again, it sucks to say that, but like, yeah, it's like there's there's a huge gap there in quality between the rest and and that one. Maybe not so much um, Blood and Honor, but Blood and Honor, I think, is just just barely enough to be like, eh, okay, that one wasn't so great. But on to the next one. Whereas like the Better Luck to Borrow is like, no, this should not be here. <laughs> what do you think, Lee? Yeah, I'd agree. It wasn't as solid as If It Bleeds, the Predator anthology, but. There was absolutely more good than bad in this book. It's well worth a read. I said the biggest problems are just that a lot of the stories are structurally quite samey. But other than that, most of them are really solid reads. I would recommend this as well. Uh, I still don't know where I'd settle on a full score of it. Somewhere between a 7 and an 8. I'd probably go 8. The two shorts that I dislike really don't drag it down for me. You know, it's 13 out of 15 shorts that I really enjoy. I think it's more just the aliens being poorly treated 
and a lot of them being structurally similar. But again, you know, when you just fancy reading a random one, you, you don't even notice that. But yeah, if they ever do another one, I'd, I'd hope to see a bit more variety in story and some the aliens given some love. I do. Yeah, it would be cool to see some stories where the aliens are just straight up the victors. And again, something more from because we have a lot of human perspective. We have a lot of predator perspective in this. We've never really gotten a lot of good alien perspective. I mean, we've only had a little bit. Are you nervous about that? Like, Yeah, like Scott Siegland did it well. I wouldn't want to see it done too much. And I wouldn't want to see it overdone. I just want to see them be victorious or be competent. You know, I think there was probably only two shorts in this where the alien did well, and that was Kodai and the Area 51 story. The alien at least made it throughout the course of that book, that short. So just, just a bit more competence and victory, I think, towards the aliens if they ever did a future one would be nice. And I do think it was a really funny, fun idea to have the editors of both the, the single alien yeah. and the single predator one team up to do an AVP one. It was quite fitting. That was really cool. They did. They both did a good job on this one. You know, I know I tend to give Bug Hunt a lot of shit. I do. And I think it's well-deserved. But I think both of them did a great job in this. And I, I do like Mayberry's writing. And I have, I've, have enjoyed all his shorts. Yeah. And I've enjoyed all Brian's as well. But yeah, Brian had one himself in here, First Hunt, and I thought that was really solid. That was another really good one. That had concepts that I thought would work well as their own thing. You know, this idea of this this captured human ship, you know, being used as a hunting ground, I thought was really cool. And I thought that would be a good basis for his own story. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, Abuse Interrupted. Yvonne Navarro, she's doing the next AVP book as well. With, with her, her, husband. her husband. Yeah. Western Osha, who gets some shit from me for her infiltrator. But no, <laughs> she redeemed herself for that really fucking awful short in Bug Hunt, as far as I'm concerned. And I actually quite liked her music at the Spears as well. That was one of my top fives as well. So to go from that to down there, but then back in here, you know, that was a really intense one. I really enjoyed that one. And it is cool yeah. to see more AVP media now with this book and then the new one coming out, which is something war, right? Rift War. Rift War, another one of the war ones you love. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. I haven't had flying aliens since the DNA war, so that should be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we have another anthology coming from Brian, actually. He's doing a sequel to his Predator anthology, If It Bleeds. This one's called Eyes of the Demon. Yes. So another quote, all the anthologies are, are quotes which I think you have that on yep. your Xenopedia, Lee. So I, I brushed up a bit before this. That's ultimate, right? <laughs> yeah, in AVP during the flashback scene. Okay. It's a bit more tenuous than the others, but it is a it is said in dialogue by someone, so we can't. I don't remember the AVPs as well as Mr. Ridgetop over here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I expect he could recite them to me. I did post again to say we were doing this, not with enough time, so we haven't really got as many responses here. But I asked people to just say what their favourites were on some of the socials. So let's just have a quick goosey gander. So Andrew Roebuck on Twitter, he hasn't finished it yet. He's on the first hunt currently, that's Brian's. But he's enjoyed them all so far. His favourite so far being Hotel Mariposa. It managed to walk the line of allowing you to experience the algae but not overly humanise them. And he actually had a bit of tears at the end of it. Christian Matsker, one of the hosts of the Perfect Organism podcast. Um, Homestead by Delilah S. Dawson is a real standout for him. Great characters, great descriptive language and the creatures remain alien and unknowable. Not sure this one counts. This is this is Titan editor Steve Saffle saying he loved Easily at Mansa by Stephen L. Spears and Night Doctors by Maurice Brodus. Well, I hope everybody's enjoyed this 
attempt at an anthology review episode you'll have to let us know if it worked just picking one particular thing to talk about uh well give more focus on it's hard to really break these ones down i know you're working on your written review aaron are you going to go through all of them in that one i'm basically doing the same thing i'm just picking my favorites to talk briefly about them and the ones that i disliked which well if i haven't finished my review by now you will you will know after having listened to this as to as to what i preferred and, and overall complaints or compliments about the book let us know what you guys and girls think in the comments section of the YouTube or the website or the Facebook, whatever socials you're listening on. Um, let us know your favorites. Let us know your least favorites. Any any thoughts that you folk out there have, please do let us know. If you are listening to this on a platform that allows you to rate and review us, you know, iTunes or I think Spotify now has ratings, uh, please do. It helps algorithms to help us be viewed by other fans who might not have already come across us. And share share with your own friends that you know are fans that are interested in this one. It's all quite helpful to getting us out there and very much appreciated. Adam, do you want to do the socials and the website? Sure. If you'd like to visit our website where we have all sorts of great stuff like interviews, editorial pieces, news, as well as message boards where you can discuss things with other fans, that's just evpgalaxy.net. We are also on all the major social channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. If you search EVP Galaxy or Alien vs. Predator Galaxy, you're sure to find us. And Lee, do you want to plug a certain pedia? Yeah, careful how you say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Xenopedia is avp.fandom.com because the wikis have all changed their addresses now, but I'm pretty sure the old one will still get you through. Drop by, join in, and uh, be good to see you. Well, thank you everybody for listening or watching. This has been Corporal Hicks, Ridgetop, and who the fuck? Are you looking at me or the clock? Mm-hmm.